0: Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. Welcome. Today, we have a fabulous guest. We have Jemima Jane here, Nurse Jemima Jane, self-worth and self-love coach. How are you going today?
1: Yeah, I'm going fantastic, feeling really good. The sun is out and I'm so excited to be here.
0: I love that. We were just talking about how we've connected online on Instagram. It's where all the cool people connect. <laughs> and um, I reached out and I was super excited to get you on and to talk about all the amazing work that you're doing. Before I do that, let's tell you a little bit about Jabai So Jemima's been a nurse for five years in total, one year in adults. Uh, That was her transition to practice program. And since then, has been working in paediatric surgical in Burns, which is super cool. First paediatric nurse to the podcast. So we'll dive into that. Jemima is someone who loves to laugh and have fun, loves nursing, but sees that there is an area which is missing. And that's the area of healing the healers first before healing other people. I love that so much. Jemima is a nurse who's realized the real and utter importance of learning life lessons through deeper spiritual and shadow work. A first-generation Australian nurse who has always felt that she couldn't live up to her parents' expectations, who is now living her life without as much debilitating anxiety and being super proud of herself in the process. I love that. And you should be so proud of yourself. Let's start there. You should be so, so proud. (laughs) Yay to you. I love that. So let's dive into your career. Um, And let's talk about your kind of career story up until this point. So give us the kind of main points of your career and tell us a bit more about what led you into paediatrics and what you love about it.
1: Yeah. So um, during uni, I actually never got a placement in paediatrics, but I've always wanted to work with kids. And, you know, when you finish your bachelor's degree, it's all so scary trying to apply for a graduate program. You never know what you're going to get. So I was applying at all hospitals, private and in South Australia, you just apply for like the preferences of what public hospital you'd like. And I just chose one that I lived closest to and I got into it. I was lucky enough to get a grad program. I just wanted to dive into it. I said yes to the public system and I did my P in Mm orthopaedics and plastics and then I did it um, in respiratory. While old people and adult hospitals are great, it was a lot of dementia patients, a Mm -hmm. lot of broken hips, a lot of ADLs and I guess I was questioning a lot of like, is this what I did my bachelor's for? Is this really what I want to do? for the rest of my life kind of thing and also just questioning if adult land was really for me and then I guess it was getting to the end of my pre practice and I had fantastic educators who would email us job opportunities because you're not guaranteed mm-hmm. after a job in the public uh, system so one popped up for the um, children's pediatric hospital here where I live and I applied for it and I was second-guessing myself the whole time. I was like, I literally emailed back and I was like, hey, I have no experience <laughs> in peds. Should I even apply for this? And they were like, you, why are you so silly? Just apply for it. Don't question yourself. And I was like, okay, uh, sure. I applied for it and then I got the interview. In the interview, of course, I was like, I'm going to be honest, I don't have any experience. Like in my head I was saying that. I'm like, oh, don't tell them, don't break, you know, Um, that you don't have any pain experience. But I took what I could out of my adult experience and I went into it being myself and knowing that at that point in time um, I was proud of the nurse that I was becoming. And I remember one of the questions was – what would be the hardest thing uh, transitioning from adults to PEDS? And I said, you know, generic answer, I guess it would be, you know, all the obs and stuff. But then I backed that up and I said, one of the things that I got um, in a grad program was that I looked really young and working with PEDS, I would look Mm -hmm. really young as well. And I told them about a situation where I had a patient one time being like, are you even old Mm. enough to be a nurse? And be like, I don't want you looking after me because you look so young. But I attended to his needs like no one else had because he was trying to get into contact with his son, but no one was giving him the time of day to Mm. call his son and get into contact with him or anything else because they were busy doing something else and I said even though it'd be difficult for me to transition like knowing all the obs the heart rates and the vitals I know that I can bring that to peds because it'd still be caring holistically Mm -hmm. for my patients and what they need Mm -hmm. and I think that's what got me there because my manager was on the panel and she remembers that so clearly and Yeah, and she was, like, raving about that comment and I couldn't even remember it until she, you know, kept bringing it up when I started working. But then, yeah, so I've been a paediatric nurse for four years and I knew from doing a rotation in orthopedics and plastics and then respiratory that I was definitely Mm. not a medical nurse, like, even for their own. But I find medical nursing, for those who are in it and... I just
0: I'm such a fixer.
1: I want to yeah. fix something. And <laughs> surgery allows you to fix something that's possibly wrong. And in medical and in respiratory, once you know someone has mm. COPD, once their lung is gone, it's gone. Um and I think that was one of the saddest things that I experienced and I was like, I don't while I love supporting families and stuff, it makes me really sad that I can't mm. do anything further.
0: Such a good level of insight, you know, over a lot of people come to me and they'll ask me, Liam, I don't know where I want to land in the system, right? I don't know, like, like yourself. I haven't done Pete, so I don't know if that's what I want. And what I love about your story that you just told us there is that you gave yourself the opportunity. You just made it happen. You didn't know, right? But you just took massive action and you went anyway. And I love that internal monologue that you're running because the reality is everybody that's listening is running a similar monologue, whether you're a graduate moving into your first graduate role, or whether you're a director of nursing moving up to apply for the CEO position. You're sitting there going, oh, my God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how. And we get so caught up in the how. But here's the thing that I know from 10 years of clinic, general mm. clinical work and being a coach, and you'll see this as well, and you, you've experienced it, I'm sure, is that we don't know the how until we actually give ourselves the opportunity to learn. And I think that that's just so powerful to remind yourself of that. And your internal monologue shifted from like, oh, my God, I can't do this to, okay, like, I've got something to offer. And that example that you gave in that interview is a good thing. It's amazing. And kudos to you, anybody listening, such a good tip is really just relate it back to your experience and how you over-deliver. And think of a time where you can demonstrate the fit that you are for the organization. It doesn't matter whether it's PEDS, whether it's PAL care, whether it's ED. You know, what you did there is you made them feel something. And that's why they remember it. And that's what I teach in all of my programs is when you're interviewing, you've got to make the panel feel. Uh, and when you make them feel and they connect to it, boom, your job is done. The job is yours um, because anybody can learn the ops, right? Anybody can learn pediatric observations, but not many people really over-deliver and come from that beautiful caring space that you just talked about. So talk to me about a day in the life of a pediatric nurse It sounds heaps fun. It sounds fun, but also challenging. Um,
1: <laughs> the day in the life of a pediatric nurse, I feel like it's, it's fun, but it's, there's, definitely Mm -hmm. always pros and cons. What I didn't realise was you definitely have to have and hold more space Mm -hmm. for more people, not just the patient Mm -hmm. that you're taking care of. It comes with the families, the mums, the dads, the aunties, the grandmas uh, and the grandpas. um, And yeah, you've got to try to and this is diving a little deeper as well, connect with your inner child because if you don't have that playfulness or remember how scary situations were when you were a child or think about what, like, a child's mind kind of thing, you can't reason with a toddler <laughs> that's having a tantrum. You honestly can't. And to do obs on a kid with, you know, mm-hmm. our masks and stuff You've got to make it a bit crazy, I guess. I was telling one of my colleagues the other day because there are patients you can never get OBS on and then if you get OBS on them, you do a little (laughs) brag. So I did a little brag because there's this little girl who burns at the moment she hates everyone because, you know, kids Mm. don't need a, like, scary-looking people with masks. And I said, you've got to sing and dance. You've honestly got to be, like, make it fun. You've got to make it really exciting. But, yeah, and then whilst you're making it exciting for the kids and, you know, making it feel like a safe mm-hmm. space, I think that's so vital because I guess when you connect back to your inner child and your traumas and stuff, lots of the traumas come from feeling unsafe or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think, yeah, safety is such a big thing. And then also reiterating that you're doing these things for the patient Mm. as well, to the parents, and being this, we're doing this because it's going Mm. to benefit so-and-so. Yeah, it it can get really hard sometimes, and I guess doing that and while having fun, being also Mm. serious enough to advocate for whatever the parents' Mm. concerns are, but also reassuring them. As
0: much as it might sound fun, you know, on the surface, and that's me just being silly looking (laughs) at um you know obviously it is a hugely t- trying testing time for families and kids they're obviously not in the hospital for lunch they're there for you know medical conditions and surgical issues and that's really really challenging i would love to pick up on two things you talked about there just to dive a bit deeper i don't think we've covered these topics on the podcast before and dive into what, what is holding space um, or what would be your interpretation of holding space? Because I think that as clinicians across the board, this is sweeping generalization. I don't think that we're that good at holding space because holding space means that we've got to mm-hmm. have a bit of time <laughs> and we're time poor and we love to just get on with the next thing and move through it. And holding space is very much, in my mind, a, a coaching term or an NLP type term. But I love that you brought it up. So how can people, first of all, what is holding space? And then secondly, what, what does that look like day-to-day for clinicians? How can they hold more space?
1: Cool. I think to explain holding space, it is to go in t- with the intention to listen to understand rather than listening to mm. respond. Because as you said, we're fixers. We're yep. on the go. Um, we have a solution usually. You know, um, you're in pain. Here's Panadol. Not working? Mm. Here's Nurofen. We'll wait until we get oxy, but, you know, um, I guess really holding space, yeah, that would be what my Mm -hmm. definition would be is to listen to understand rather than listen to respond. And how I find that I do that or would recommend people doing that is I know it does take time to listen, but if you listen properly the first time, I feel like you won't have to keep asking the same questions. For sure. To try to find what is truly going on. Like, you know, if a parent, I guess, is saying, oh, they're in pain, um, you know, what's going to happen, la, la, la. I honestly say, what is your biggest concern out of all of those things and how can I help you? and then I will hold space for the parent or the child to express and look I'll be honest I don't do this all the time because we're so busy um we can get really busy but if I do have the time that is usually my intention is to understand what they need and what reassurance they need throughout the day to make the day a little bit easier Mm -hmm. um Yeah, I hope that answers the question.
0: Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I love that listen to understand. I think that that will resonate with a lot of people listening uh, today um, to really grasp the concept of holding space in their clinical career. And you're right, we can't do it all the time, but patients know, they sense that Even you just talking me through there, I felt safe in your questioning, you know, and that real openness. uh, And that's what we need to create for our patients, right? That's where we reduce complaints that's where we reduce you know aggravated patients and people getting orgy-borgy and trying to hit us Mm -hmm. and you know yes people do that because of other reasons but nine times out of ten it's due to frustration that people in the system you know get get pissed or get annoyed and we have the ability to create that beautiful space for them where they are safe they can come into it it's kind of like we put a nice little blanket around them and say right what is it (laughs) Uh, what is it that you need let us work through that together. It's a beautiful thing. And gift, it's a beautiful gift you give to your patients and to yourself. I love that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the inner child. Um, I've done a lot of psychology work on myself, continue to do so. And the inner child might be a new concept. So talk us through the inner child. Like, how is that? How does that make your job easier, knowing a bit more about your inner child and tapping into that?
1: Um, well, I guess... The inner child, I created my own definition as an inner child to kind of understand it a bit better. But as we grow into adults and elderly people, I think people forget that we were once children and that we actually lived as a child. (laughs) Those memories, those feelings are stored within us unconsciously. And, yeah, I think when we become adults and what I didn't realise was all of my beliefs, my values and what I have learnt up until a certain point of adulthood until I realised that I could relearn and recreate my values were created from my inner child, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm. So it's just, um, yeah, like our ego, it is something that sits in our our unconscious that is actually such a big part of our life because, what we're only really adults until... I love saying this to my partner, your brain has only matured at 25. So, whatever decisions you made before, then you're still a child. So, you know, so that's how I would explain an inner child and how connecting with my inner child has helped me is to, I guess, understand where you introduced me as first gen Australian. Mm-hmm. And I guess you said that I had. Debilitating anxiety. Not, It wasn't that debilitating, but I would say that it affected me to the point where I projected all of my fears and anxieties to people and had a not-so-great relationship with my parents because I had a lot of blame, mm. and that came from my inner yeah. child. And I think in nursing, one of the things that I want to do with healing healers is to allow them to heal their inner child first because a lot of our fears, anxieties um, or traumas project out into the world and they project whether we Mm -hmm. want them or not to Mm -hmm. project, if that makes sense. So when we go to work, if we're feeling unworthy, that unworthiness goes and projects onto all of Mm -hmm. our colleagues and it affects our clinical care. So, yeah, being able to understand ourselves and connect with ourselves on that unconscious, deeper level, and you know, kind of making our mm. inner child feel safe because we are now, mm. we're safe, you know, um, and to, just to be proud of ourselves um, and to tell ourselves that we are worthy because. I know you can get comments from people and be like, you're so worthy and, you know, you should be so proud of yourself. But at the end of the day, it's up to you to Mm. truly believe in that. On an unconscious level.
0: Beautifully said. Are you a graduate nurse who wants application support, interview support and mindset coaching to work through all of the drama that's coming up as you approach your first Professional application. I hear you, I see you, I feel you, and do not fret. My graduate career launch program doors are closed for 2022, intake number one. However, you can still get an immense amount of support through the High Performance Nursing channel. I have so many videos on Instagram that you need to go and check out now. You must join my private Facebook group where I give you lots of extra tips that I put nowhere else. Furthermore, make sure you dive into the show notes, click all the links, join my graduate career launch program waitlist in case the space becomes available. I will be in touch um, and it will be waitlist first. Secondly, make sure that you download my career freebies to help you succeed. I've had over 500 people download them and I'm telling you right now, I get messages nearly every week from people that have used them and succeeded. So, They work, folks. They work. Finally, make sure you go back through this podcast, listen to all the episodes, particularly the application support episodes. There are a heap of them and there's so much value here that I truly believe will actually help you land a role just from this alone. So good luck. Reach out. Send me a message if you need some support and get on the GCLP waitlist, whether you're 2022 or 2023. Get on it. I think that in a child work is one of the most powerful things and when you realize and you open yourself up to um, checking in and touching base with your inner child you'll start to see where it comes up and you know for me like as a nurse unit manager as an educator even as a nurse clinically it would come up in the sense that I didn't feel good enough like my inner child was just like this is it. this is not safe this you know I worked in toxic environments and my inner child will come through and And I didn't understand it at the time, but working through that with a psychologist has been one of the best things that I've ever gifted myself, right? Because it's allowed me to see that, like little Liam, I call him little Liam, you know, little Liam was um, hurting and he was worried and he was scared in that moment. And it's part of my job adult Liam you know the part of me that's adult Liam to then give that safety back to him and say you are capable of doing this Mm -hmm. you and that's uh, that's why I love this conversation around healing the healer right because what it does is it allows you to see that we have the power to heal ourselves like we are not made to be healed by other people (laughs) but yet we're conditioned to believe that everything that will fix us is external like, let's get a new iPhone. That will make me feel better. You know, let's get a new job. That will make me feel better. I did all of that. We all do it all. And I think it gets to a point where you run out of those options because when you've got everything material that you need, you then have nothing left to get, right? And that's usually, I think that's where I then had an aha moment and went, holy moly, what am I doing to myself? I need to talk to somebody about this. And I'm hoping you're nodding. I'm hoping that people listening will be nodding and relating to this because we keep outsourcing that worthiness and that need for validation rather than looking internally and just asking yourself a question like, what is it that little Jemima needs or, you know, whatever you called her? What is it that little Liam needs right now? What's he experiencing? And how can I let him know that it's safe? Because we continue to operate in that primitive state, right, that we've operated in for centuries. And the fight or flight primitive state really no longer serves a purpose unless you're falling out of a plane <laughs> um, when you're not supposed to be, or you're in immediate danger. It really is not beneficial, right? Yet, I think, I'd love your take on this, I think as clinicians, we operate in fight or flight, I would say 90 to 95% of our day. Because we are not truly in touch with what's happening internally, we haven't set ourselves up for success, and we're not believing, we're not creating that psychological safety for ourselves to be able to operate and give from a place of joy, gratitude, calmness. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that you talked about outsourcing. It's like we just put Band-Aid over Band-Aid over Band-Aid because we think it's going to fix the problem and people don't realise that um, it's, it's within. And also the fact that checking in with ourselves, I loved that you said that as well because how often is it that we are checking in on other people, you know, and making sure that they're okay? That's our number one job as a nurse, checking that everyone else is doing okay. But how often is it that you ask yourself, how are you doing and what is mm-hmm. going on? Um, so that all resonates so beautifully with me. And I think I wanted to talk about how it it allows us to create safe boundaries as well, um, getting to know ourselves on that deeper level because you know, outsourcing and then giving and giving and giving um, as healers will mm. burn us out and it's when we truly can connect with ourselves and check in and ask, what do I truly need right now? If, if I need to just detox social media or I need to say no to that double shift or whatnot, then I'm going to do that because that's what I need right now to make little Jemima or mm. even adult Jemima feel mm. safe. And yeah, and things I think, yeah, just the awareness, awareness, and allows us to be more aware of others as well. Um, the awareness in yourself allows you to be way more aware of others, and also, yeah, being able to create safe boundaries Mm. to keep you safe.
0: I think it's interesting, I don't think that we necessarily need to get to a point where we do burn out to experience this, but this tends to be the trajectory, right? This tends to be the story is that we get to a point where we do burn out. And I'm really trying to shift my understanding or my interpretation of burnout and really look at it in a way of like, what did burnout give me, right? Rather than what did it take away from me? Because I don't feel like it took a lot away from me, actually, when I look at it. I feel like it gave me more than it took in the sense that without that experience, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Without burning out, I would not be a nurse, career and leadership coach running my own business, having this podcast and talking to you. And that to me is invaluable. So I think that even though burnout should not happen, I think that there's a beauty Maybe that's a podcast episode Beauty in the Burnout that we could draw upon because it is like an awakening. Um, Lauren Bell that we have on the podcast, who's yeah. our consciousness coach, she always talks about we're really just raising our consciousness um, around what it is that we truly want. Like we stop living, like you mentioned in your bio, stop living the life that other people want you to live and you step into your true power and you create the, the boundaries and you start running stories in your mind that are deliberate are not gathered from our past and from our subconscious mind. So powerful.
1: I love that. I love that. And I, yeah, the more we become aware and conscious, and I love that you find the positives of burnout because I believe so strongly that life is full of polarities and you need the polar opposites of things to experience the things um, such as joy mm-hmm. on that ultimate level, you know, that because you can't have joy without yeah. a bit of sadness or happiness mm-hmm. without anger. Life doesn't work that way. And whether you flow through all of those things, um, each moment that you live and experience with the polarities will mm-hmm. teach you something and time everything- become aware of how you experience those things the sweeter they get
0: I love that I talk a lot about and my coach talks a lot about 50 life is 50 50 right we've been fed a lie at some point that it should be 90 10 that it should be 90 percent great Mm -hmm. and 10 percent not so great and I think that when you realize that and you really start practicing it and believing it you understand that you need to fail in order to succeed you need to experience the low lows to get the high highs. You don't go out looking for them, but you're just more receptive to them occurring. And when they do happen, you don't make them mean anything about your capabilities moving forwards, right? So you then reclaim your power and you choose and you go, well, today wasn't great, you know, um, however, tomorrow's a new opportunity. So today was maybe the 50% not so great maybe it was a 50% bad day today. Tomorrow's going to be amazing. And I'm going to consciously choose to decide that it's amazing, no matter what happens. We just have such power up here in our brain that I think is untapped. And I love that we're connected on that because as a self-worth, self-love coach, coaching nurses and healing the healers, it's the fundamental component, isn't it? Is reclaiming your power and looking at your brain and then deciding to be intentional about everything that you are choosing to think every day, because here is the thing: everybody listening, you know, if you operate from what I call shitty thoughts, <laughs> but uh, if you operate from thoughts that are disempowering and negative, which most of us do day to um, day, because we just believe them to be true, you will create negative feelings, negative actions, and negative results in your life. And the difference is, is that when you raise your awareness and you accept what's going on, you become empowered. And you get to rewrite the story. You get to tell it however you want to tell it. And you choose positive thoughts. You then embrace positive feelings. You have positive, beautiful actions. And you create beautiful, positive results in your life. It is so, so empowering. What's your experience working with clinicians or working with humans um, as a self-worth and self-love coach? Like, What what have you come across that comes up frequently in this space?
1: I feel as though... It's funny because the people that I work with reflect the person that I was mm-hmm. once um, in terms of the feeling that they have no time for themselves, um, trying to sc- discover how to make more time for themselves, but also rediscovering the importance of feeling that worthiness mm-hmm. from within. Um just yeah a lot of people i guess feel like self care is i guess people think of it as something they need to do at a point when they really really need it mm. whereas i try to teach that self care needs to be a consistent a consistent thing to do um because you don't get the results just by doing it once yeah you've got to do it consistently mm. And what I also love um, talking about, because what I have tried to do is I compare myself. I I have struggled with comparing myself with mm. all the social media things that you see, all yeah. the fitness models and stuff. It's it's like this is how I should be, but that's just society. That's just society's story. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like we need to rewrite our own story and you don't need a self-care how society does it. There's no rule book of how you need to self-care or there's no rule book on how, you know, um, you need to look physically or Mm -hmm. need to eat or need to uh, um, do those things. We're just so influenced by societies impressions of things mm. um and it's like you need to go back into creating your own
0: i love that because it, it allows you to ask yourself how would i like to show up and care for myself what does self-care look like for me right it's all well and good that yeah. people might say or oh, bubble baths whatever else but i talk about this on elena mallory's podcast the happiness all the time she talks about this and she's like Self-care in bubble baths, like, you know, that's fine if it works for you. But for her, it's a cup of coffee. For me, self-care is going to the theatre. That is my thing. That is my ultimate self-care indulgence. Um, And it fills up my cup. And I think that, you know, in my experience working, obviously, as a clinician and then trying to fit self-care in around my work, I guess where I went wrong was I was always trying to just do without actually looking at the thinking and the feelings behind the doing. So I would just, like, I'm going to go to the gym now, you know, and I'm going to make sure that I go at 5am. And then I wonder, it's down the track, why it never stuck. And it's because I was doing it from like a really bad place, like a, almost a resentment for myself, you know, this disconnect, like, oh, well, I've got to do it because john that works on the unit he does it as well you know um and look at him he looks great look at me i've got an extra couple of kilos so there's that comparisonitis that comes in oh, i love calling it comparisonitis because it's it's infective like it's mm-hmm. infectious and there's just no real space for it right when you really step into your your own and into your authentic self um my coach talks about comparisonitis being like an indiscriminate beast like it's always there it's always going to be there it's just like imposter syndrome. How do you manage it? How do you know that it's there? Acknowledge it, and then move forward anyway, and just take massive action and be willing and courageous to just do the thing. Like coming on the podcast today, Jemima and I were chatting in, the, in Instagram. I was, oh my goodness! I'm like, yeah, but you know, you're just gonna do it, and that's amazing. That's courage. That's pushing through all of that. It's not pushing it down or like not addressing it. It's pushing through it and realizing that you are capable and you are worthy and you can do this and you have a beautiful thing to offer the world. And that's for every clinician. You don't have to come on a podcast to talk about that, right? That can be in your day-to-day work. It's about tapping into that space.
1: I love that. And I love that you say to not just push it down and not address it because um, the more that we avoid things, the stronger they will come up and the stronger they will try to be addressed, Mm. Um, I feel like they will just shout at you It's um, when you're doing things unconsciously or, you know, it, it will just get to a point where it's like it has to be addressed and you need to do something about it mm. and take action. Mm.
0: Um, I put out an email today that said, what you resist, you persists, what you, God, I really badged that, butchered that, what you resist, persists, you know, what you avoid, avoidance is an action, right? Avoidance is something that we're not doing. It's an inaction. Um, And in order to work through that, we've got to get into the, the thinking space. What are you telling yourself about what you should be doing and what are you feeling and then working through that. There's so much work in this space that would benefit clinicians. We could talk about it forever. Um, I know. (laughs) I want to move on and talk about, uh, you talked to me earlier about graduate, kind of the graduate year or just being a student. And because it was kind of semi-recent, I love your take on it about this idea that you go through uni, you do three years, we learn how to care for others, but we don't learn how to care for ourselves. What do you think is the main missing piece there or what could we be doing so that we start that ball rolling and that we implement self-care, self-coaching, self-leadership as like a first-year module or something? What are your thoughts?
1: I totally wish that in grad programs we had a chief mental health officer allocated to the grads To assist us in navigating not only, you know, how to nurse, but also navigating how it's making us feel. I will be honest, when in my grad year, I cried multiple times. I was so stressed um, that I wasn't good enough, and then, you know, just panicking all the time, coming to work anxious. Um, or not wanting to go to work the next day. And even though we have the educators to check in on us, I I feel like um, the chief mental health officer or chief emotional officer could check in with us on a basis of our emotions and how we were feeling Mm -hmm. and how we can implement small things such as I love journaling. I honestly... It helps me so much because my mind runs a million miles a minute Um, and I think that's what I also struggled with in my grad years. I wasn't writing things down. I wasn't getting rid of it. I wasn't putting it on paper and being like, all right, it's there. I've expressed it. I'll leave Mm. it and I can move on. I just let it brew and implement small things like reframing our challenges that day with what did you learn from that challenge and how will you go about it the next time? Mm. I guess, you know, every now and then uh, work, where I work at the moment, we do weekly debriefs, but not everyone can get to debriefs either. And being able to hold space as well to have uh, actual Mm debriefs with questions to make you think and connect with yourself and give yourself kindness and compassion that it's okay that you're going through all of these things, anxieties and thoughts um, or shit shifts. But, yeah, I guess those would be the things that I would have loved to see as a grad and I try to implement now. Um, We huddle you know, wants a shift to make sure as team leader, you had a once a shift to make sure that everyone's okay, what's happening with all the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the days that I remember, because sometimes I can forget because million miles <laughs> a minute here, um, I like to ask what people are grateful for. Mm-hmm. And it takes them aback. It does. It takes everyone aback and not everyone wants to answer, which is okay, but I like to get people thinking. Oh, I love that. It's like it doesn't have to be something from work, but it breaks state a little bit. It, sorry, break state is also an LP term, but, you know, um, gets them to stop running a 1,000 miles a minute in their head and being like, what am I grateful for mm-hmm. today? Or what am I grateful for this week? I, I, I never get asked that. Yeah. And it's like, why don't you get asked that and why don't you ask yourself that more often? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so yeah. good. Oh, I love that idea of a chief mental health officer, chief emotional officer. I love that. Um, how funny, CEO, chief emotional officer. There you go. There's one yeah. for the, the, um, the industry. Maybe that could be part of the role, hey? <laughs> I'll take the job. Um, just none of the other stuff. I'll take the chief emotional officer. I totally agree with you. I think we're um, kindred spirits on that that the solution or one of the the key solutions needs to be that safe space for clinicians to either come one-on-one and debrief. EAP ain't cutting it. It's just not good enough. (laughs) And that's not coaching. That's not mentoring. That's not guidance. It's literally just a stranger on the phone, which is fine if you need to just let it go. Um, But you're right. A debrief, in my experience, is only as good as a person leading the debrief. Right, so... If you've got somebody that's like, right, we had an arrest today and you know, this happened and like, what did we do wrong? Let's talk about it. Like, ain't that ain't welcoming safety into that conversation. And you're just going to have clinicians looking down at their feet or suddenly remembering that they've got somebody on the bedpan and they need to run out. <laughs> People ain't going to stay for that, right? We need to offer that compassionate, psychologically safe space for individuals for, to, to express their gratitude, to get vulnerable, I mean, not a lot of people think of going to work and think that they can embrace vulnerability in the workplace. And in order to connect mm. to your inner child, in order to connect to better, more productive thoughts and feelings, you need to be able to get vulnerable and courageous. You can't do that when you've got your armor up. You just It's just not possible. Um, and that comes down to leadership, you know, and creating that space. Um, so I'm with you on that. Maybe that's the future. You heard it here first on the podcast. CEO, and I think that having an external workplace coach uh, would be an integral part of healing the healer moving forward. Because I mean, who do we have? Our managers are super busy. I mean, I tried to coach people as a as a manager. I had fifty staff. uh, That's just nurses, right? Fifty staff. I had thirty patients, so double the amount of relatives. Um, MDT, 20 MDT members needing more time you know I couldn't get my own work done and I was so passionate about being a coach and mentoring and guiding people and I was able to create that safe space where people could come in and have a tear and cry and let it all out and get ugly and that was a beautiful thing but I've never personally been able to experience that myself so that was one of the key things for me when I went hold on a minute why aren't we giving this to each other? why don't we have a safe space to divulge and to explore? Um, Because like you said, the polarities of nursing, it goes from 100 degrees to like zero degrees. And, you know, somebody's just passed away and then all of a sudden you've got a pediatric arrest, like, and then the next minute a baby's been born and like your emotions are through the roof. Uh, And we really need a space to break through all of that. And like you say, I love that idea of breaking state. Even just I used to find stopping people in their track at the end of the day and just being like, hey, Jemima, just want to stop you for a minute. You did an amazing job today. Thank you so much for everything you did. I noticed it, right? And, like, people were like, oh, thanks, stop it. You know, like, oh, it's just my job. And you're like, no, 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 I really recognised it. Don't damn play it. I value that. And as a manager, it was so powerful. Like, I see you, I hear you, I value you. Um, or the alternative, like you said, going out there and just being, hey, what can I do for you today? You know, what you offer to your patients, um, any educators or managers listening or team leaders, senior nurses, you know, ask your team. Like, what can I do for you today? Step into that space and be authentic and hold the space for them. Often it's backhanded, right? You're just waiting for the slap to come. You're just waiting for somebody to be like, what can I do for you? Or nothing. Okay, I'm going to go for a break. And there's no space. (laughs) You know, or can you work a double and it's like on the run whilst you're walking and you're like, oh, I don't know, um, you know, hold the space, make it important and make them feel connected to you, I, th- I think is one of the beautiful things that you've offered us here today. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's so much we could talk about, Jemima. I love the work that you're doing. Like that. I'm so excited to see what you are going to be doing moving forwards. Um Tell us, what's one thing that you want to share with the high-performance nursing community? What's one thing that maybe um, people that you've been working with uh, needed to hear that you would like to offer nurses? Because we've got nurses all over the world listening to this podcast. So what would you love to offer them?
1: I feel like I would love to offer them that... It's time. I just want to tell whoever is listening, it's time to heal yourself or put yourself first. I mean, I just, the day that you do that, the day that you become more aware of yourself, the person who you are, like unconsciously and consciously will change your life and change the way that you nurse, change the way that you create relationships not only in um, the workspace, but with people around you, and I just yeah, a hundred percent think that if you can't find these things at work, yeah, e- EAP isn't cutting it. Like it, you know, and your manager doesn't have the time, or there's no debriefs at work. Outsource, mm-hmm. outsource, and find somewhere that holds a safe space and. This community that you have, Liam, and you've created is one of the places where I feel safe and feel heard. And I would love to do that for people when I'm I'm here and as your mama Jane to yes. hold space and, you know, allow people to discover who they truly are and heal themselves from the inside.
0: Mm. So beautifully said. So beautifully said. It is time. What are you waiting for, people? Uh, jokes aside, doing the work is scary, right? It's challenging. Um, but I think you and I can both vouch that although it's challenging, we can do hard things. I remind people that all the time we can do all the hard things um, and you owe it to yourself. It's not about anybody else. It's not about the patients, in workplace. You just owe it to yourself to be the best bloody version of yourself. That is why High Performance Nursing was born, to help people uncover what it is they truly should be doing and to step into the power and just try all of the things. So thank you for your beautiful words. Um, We do have an amazing community and it is super empowering and uplifting to have this space. Many people don't have this in the workplace, so we create it online and um, we give it to each other here um, in your ears right now. So thank you. Um, You're on Insta. What's your Insta handle?
1: At Nurse Jemima Jane.
0: Awesome. So connect with uh, Jemima on Insta. Send her a message. Tell her all the things. Chats. You offer coaching as well. Um, Is that right? People can get in touch with you for coaching. Amazing. Um, Self-worth, love, coaching. Amazing. Step into your true power. Um, It has been a pleasure having you on. I'm so excited to see where you go moving forward um, in your clinical career, but also in the coach world, because we need people like you doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you so much, Liam. This has been beautiful. I love our conversations, and I feel like this is just the beginning.
0: We are just, both you (laughs) and I, we are just getting started, peeps, so hold on to your hats. We are coming (laughs) for you. We are change, change takes time and it's coming because there's so many people, every time I do an interview like this, I remind myself that my huge goal is to change the healthcare system so that it's beautiful and that people can enjoy working in it and that people can have all the things that I never had access to. Um, And it just is so inspiring. The more people I see coming up doing it at different levels in their career Um, and people like you work clinically and being like, hey, What are you grateful for today? Boom. I love that. So bloody good. So keep it up. Um, We'll have you back on the podcast, I'm sure, in the future to talk all the things. But uh, yeah, check out Jemima on Insta. All the details will be in the link, uh, the show notes below, all the links, so click on them. And if you love this episode, which of course you did, please make sure that you um, share it on socials and tag both of us or drop us a message. We love to know who's listening. And uh, please leave us a review. We would love that. And it helps this get out to well, the millions of nurses globally so that everybody can um, can be influenced and, and gain perspective and start doing the work. Hey, it's one of the most beautiful things that you can do as a human. So thank you so much. Until next time, stay safe and stay forever curious. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.